Welcome to Harvest. And uh, don't we have a great God? We have an amazing God, and what a privilege and honor and joy it is to serve Him. We're going to be in John chapter 3 today as we continue our series, our Come and See series. And as we say almost every week as we open the Gospel of John, it's all about Jesus, and we want you to come and see Jesus. And, and I just pray that God would just do a work in this place today that just displays the glory of Jesus because it's all about Jesus. He's in it all, he's over it all, and um, he deserves He deserves it all. And what a joy it is to worship together, what a joy it is to be together as a family, and whether this is your first time here, um, or whether you've been here for a while, or whether you're coming back after a while, your family here, and we love you here, and it's just a joy and honor to worship our Lord and Savior together here. Um, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word for you, there's one available for you in the back, and we just want you to have the Word of God, and to be able to open the Word of God, and, and live the Word of God, and, and praise God for for his grace, amen? And praise God for the grace of an extra hour of sleep last night, right? And depending on your season of life, stage of life, praise God for the grace to lovingly parent children who might not have received that memo about the extra hour of sleep last night, and we will be continuing to need that grace throughout the day. And so praise God for who he is and how he's working. When was the last time that you were somewhere that you felt small? Maybe you, it was, you took a trip to Arizona and you're overlooking the Grand Canyon and you're just like, whoa, <laughs> I am not that big in the grand scheme of things. Maybe you, you took a trip to the Dakotas and you're standing at the base of the Mount Rushmore and you're like, those are some big heads with some, some dead presidents, right? Maybe you've been, anybody here been to Cuba? Cuba, Missouri, that is. If you take Route 66 through Cuba, Missouri, you'll see what the world, uh, Guinness Book of World Records once called the largest chair on the side of the road, standing over 44 feet tall. That'll make you feel small. So much of our life, we try to make ourselves look big. We try to make much of ourselves. But the reality is, in the grand comparison of things, compared to great, how great God is, we are but small. Um, one of the most important and meaningful times of my life that I felt so small was in 2012. It was, about, it was in October. I was a missions pastor at a previous church, and I had taken a trip to visit and to serve for two weeks with the Jaipur, India, to serve with an IMB missionary that we supported that was actually a really good friend. His name was Jonathan Dobbs. I went over with uh, my mentor, Frank Bragg, and, and another good friend, Dave Williams. And we went to a place where millions of people do not know the name of Jesus, like literally. Like, they're called unreached and unengaged people groups. They've never heard of the name of Jesus. We, we might have heard of the name of Jesus, chosen to reject Jesus, but these people have never heard of the name of Jesus. We got there and the first day, Jonathan took us up to this old fort that overlooked the entire city. Jaipur has over 4 million people in it. 4 million people. And, and we began to overlook the city. You'll see this first picture of us overlooking the city here. And that's myself, uh, Frank Bragg's in the middle and Dave Williams is on the, on the, on the end there. And um, each of these men, our hearts began to break. These are successful men, very successful men. All of the military men, Frank Bragg has had a high ranking role, retired colonel, chose not to become, take a promotion to general in order to serve the Lord um, and be, not have to move. And he was on General Schwarzkopf's right hand and a lot of things in the 90s. And he had some high ranking roles as an intel officer. Dave Williams was a military Air Force pilot who also flies for United, 
who when God grips his heart with the greatness of who he is to began to use his resources and his mileage and the ability to transport people cheaply to parts of the world to get the gospel there. And Jonathan Dodds was a military officer, Air Force pilot, got out of the Air Force, went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, was educated with a seminary degree, became a missionary, moved his family of four kids then to India, which is no little thing to tell people to literally take the gospel up into the Himalayas, up into Nepal, all throughout uh, India, um, dodging mudslides and, and risking their lives literally to take the gospel to people that had never heard of the name of Jesus. I was with these men and I overlooked this city, hearing the Muslim sounds calls to worship where Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and Sikhs. And I saw a little boy playing soccer on his roof. He's about seven or eight years old. And the Lord of God spoke something piercing to my heart. The Holy Spirit did that I will never forget. And he said, Dan, I created that little boy in my image. I sent my son to die for him. But who will tell him? Will you? And at that moment, I broke. And I literally dropped to my knees in response to the greatness of who God is and the losses of this world, in a brokenness of my pride and my, my missional ignorance. I had been a believer for years. I was a pastor. I had graduated seminary. I was a missions pastor. But I was addicted to comfort. I was too afraid of man and the obstacles that might have been there to do much about it. And God began to break me and strip me of my pride. Now, it's an ongoing battle. And he said, what would it look like if you gave me everything? And I began to pray, Lord Jesus, may you increase and, G and may I decrease. A puddle of tears filled this broken glass, dirty, old, rotten, not rotten, beautiful fort. And we began to sing 10,000 reasons. And God began to do a work in my heart. 18 months later, that beget was a part of the journey to us planting this church. And all of those men have a huge impact in this church being here for a variety of reasons that we don't have time to go into today. You never prayed one of those scary prayers, like, Lord, give me patience, and God just doesn't give you patience, right? He gives you the ability to be patient. When you begin to pray, Jesus, may you increase, and may, me de may I decrease, he begins to stir in your heart some things that you don't want to deal with. He begins to expose idols that you don't want to confront. He begins to bring to surface some things that you don't want to give up. At least that's my story. Maybe it's yours. What would it look like if you were willing to move, Dan? What would it look like if you were willing to leave the place where you are, Dan? What would it look like if you moved your, your, your family here or there, Dan? What would it look like, Dan, if you gave up the, uh, the comfort of, a, of this or that or the security of an income or this or that? Dan? What would it look like if you actually truly trusted me and did what you said and truly worshiped and exalted me and got over yourself so that the gospel can go forth because people need to know and Jesus is worthy of it all and others are worth it all? What would it look like? What would it look like? What would it look like?
not just for me, but for you. In view of the greatness of who God is, what would it look like for us to humble ourselves and to respond? Because that's what we're going to see in this text today. And God stirred in my heart in 2012, and he's continuing to stir in my heart. He's, he's rekindling a fire recently in me that is very similar to this, and I don't know where it's going. I just know who's in charge. Praise God. Have it all. And I don't say that in the ignorance that I don't wrestle with pride because I do. Or the unwillingness to let go of things or to offer things. But this is about worship. This is about exaltation. This is about elevation of the one who deserves it all, Jesus Christ. We're going to see in the text, in response to how Jesus is moving, two people respond differently. One of them says, Jesus, have it all. And the other one says, Jesus, no, I want to hold it all. I don't want to go to you. I don't want others to go to you. I want it all. And how many of us are actually saying that, whether we'll admit that or not today? I want church the way I want it. I want my family in the location I want. I want my finances set up in the way I want my schedule how I want it. I am serving the God of me more than I'm serving the God of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in this text, the powerful conviction in the final verse in verse 36 of John chapter three, that if we are not willing to obey, that the gospel tells us that obedience is the fruit of authentic salvation and relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we are unwilling to obey, if we are continuing to say me, 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 what our life is speaking, no matter what our words say, that God's wrath is still upon us and that we will live separated from Jesus Christ for all of eternity. That's the, real, that's the reality of the text. This is a powerful text, a beautiful text, a compelling text. And I pray that you would open your heart because we're going to see the one, the one who responds, John the Baptist, and he says, you're worthy of it all, Jesus. And I understand my identity is in you. My security is in you. And I want to live for you. Here's a big idea today. It's right from the text, literally. Jesus must increase and we must decrease. Emphasis on the word Must. Like, not maybe, but must. What's your response today to the greatness of God? What's your response to the worthiness? It's easy to sing it. It's easy to say it. It's hard to live it. But what will you do? I believe with all my heart that God wants to work in this room and online today. I believe he wants to tell your soul. It's not a surprise that you're here. It's not, it's not, nothing is, is, nothing is a coincidence in God's economy. Would you please open your hearts to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in you? We're going to have a prayer response time at the end. I'm just letting you know that right now, because I believe with all my heart, God wants to do a great work in every single individual in this room, including myself and Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. We want to say Jesus must increase and we must decrease, not in a platitudinal way, not in a coffee cup way. Like we can put it on our coffee cups, but are we living our lives in that way? It's about your heart. Are you willingly getting lower in response to who Jesus is that affects your attitude? Not platitudinal, but attitudinal because it's transformational. That Jesus must increase and we must decrease. The gospel changes everything. It does, doesn't it? Has it really changed you? Has it changed you? Are you choosing to live differently? Are you choosing to have Jesus at the center? Are you just saying it, but you're living it differently because you're really addicted to you. You're worshiping you. I have to, I, 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 I. Count how many times you say the word I. And you'll really find out 
who you're worshiping. Jesus, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we need you. And Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, I just pray that in this moment that you would make yourself great and glorious as we're going to see in the text today, that you are the one that saves, that you are the one who literally is above it all, that you are sovereign over it all. And in response to the reality of who you are, may we humble ourselves, may we be humbled today, Holy Spirit, by the greatness of God. And may we respond with all of who we are, leaving nothing on the table and giving you everything, Jesus. Open our hands, open our eyes, open our hearts to the areas of our lives that we are living closed-fisted and missing out on joy because we are self-worshippers and not savior worshipers, Jesus. Jesus, may you have your way in this place. May you permeate this place with your peace and your goodness and your grace. Holy Spirit, just silence me and may you flow. Drop us to our knees in the reality of who you are, Jesus. And may you do the work that you want to do. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to John 3. Let's dig into this beautiful text. John 3, beginning in verse 22. Through the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. As John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist. Here in the text. After this... Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and they was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. That would come. There's a price to following Jesus. Now a discussion arose among some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you, you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I, I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves his son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. So praise be to God indeed. In response to the greatness of God, we see that right here in these verses 31 through 36. John, John the apostle is like, he's, Jesus is above all once. Jesus is above all a second time. And God has given him all. He set him above all a third time there. He's given all things into his hands. So in response to the reality of the greatness of God that, that is displayed so vividly in this text, how will we respond? We see this, uh, this, this disposition, this comparison of one who receives it 
and one who rejects it, both in John the Baptist and John the Baptist's disciple. And we see it also in verse 36, where it says the one who believes has eternal life. He's the one who obeys, but the one who doesn't obey has the wrath of God remaining upon him because of the reality of God's holiness and our sin has consequences. So which one or camp are you in today? And praise God for his grace, amen, that no matter where we are right now, he can save us, redeem us, and restore us. That hope is here because God's grace is here, because Jesus is here. This isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps message. It's a get lower and let God do his thing message. More of Jesus, less of us. To the four, for, so in response to God's greatness, we're gonna, Jesus' greatness, we're going to look at four pursuits of our life. The word pursuit that should be of our life, the word pursuit is intentional because none of us are perfect. We're to pursue perfection. Jesus is the only perfect one. Praise God for his grace that we will all mess up daily. And may we continue to grow in repentance and then God's forgiveness is unending. So our your question today is, are you pursuing these things? Not are you perfect in these things? Cause you're not, but are you pursuing them? Are you, is the sin in your life getting less and less? Is the, the response time to when you sin and seek genuine forgiveness from God and others getting more and more, uh, getting quicker and quicker, I should say. So the first Christ-exalting pursuit in response to the greatness of Jesus, who is above all, as stated in this text, is this, to embrace gospel priority because Jesus is the Savior, not me. Now, I love you. I hate to break it to you, but you are not the Savior. You're not the Savior of you. You're not the Savior of your spouse. You're not the Savior of the world, the military, the country, your job. You are not the Savior. John the Baptist says that vividly, verse 28, he goes, I am not the Christ. Some of us need to hear this, right? I am not the savior. I can't save myself. I can't save anybody else, but I can't point you to the savior. I can't point you to the savior. That's the gospel priority, pointing people to Jesus because I'm not the savior, but Jesus' harvest can't save anybody. This church can't save anybody, but Christ can. May we point Jesus to Christ, point you to Christ. Now, it says here that Jesus and his disciples, are, they're baptizing over there, and John the Baptist is baptizing over here, and God is moving and people is coming. Don't you love it, the reality that God sends people to places where the gospel is going forth faithfully, and it's a priority? And may that be the, the, our source of confidence. And we see this discussion arise in verse 25. Now a discussion, it says, now any married folks in the room know what discussion is code for? Arguments, right? Relation, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a heated controversy is what the words mean. What is it over? It's over purification, AKA baptism. It's, that's not really what it's over. It's over authority. One, one disciple of John the Baptist is like, how dare Jesus be baptizing people over there? But you know what really is in his crawl? Verse 26, Rabbi, he who was, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and what? All are going to him. He was frustrated because people were going to Jesus. He was frustrated because people were leaving him and his camp his group, his gathering, and they were going across the river to Jesus. Oh, the audacity that people go to Jesus, right? Isn't that the goal? We say it, but do we actually live it? How many of us, whether we realize it, have the same attitude as this disciple of John the Baptist? People are going. 
They're going to go to plant a church. They're going to go on the mission field. They're leaving. But, but who at the home church here, who, if they go, who's going to watch the kids? Who's going to do student ministry? If they go, who's going to lead my small group? If they go, who are my kids going to hang out with? If they go, who am I going to hang out with? And who's in the middle of all of this? Me, right? What's the subject? If they go, what's the tithing situation going to be about our current church? And all of a sudden, all these fear and obstacles that we should never be sending, we should never be releasing, all emerge because we're trying to protect our thing as opposed to point people to Jesus' thing. And how true is that in our own hearts and lives? Because it's not a gospel priority. We might say the words and whatnot, but we're making it about us. Our thing is the priority. And it's hard to see people go. It's hard to release. It's hard to send because people that you love go and your relationship might be different. You might not see them as much. And we grieve that, but we also celebrate that. And may we never grow tired of that. And may we do more of that, amen? Because of a gospel priority that says the point is that people follow Jesus. And that more people follow Jesus, we must be willing to say gospel goodbyes. That's what's happening here. But man, my heart identifies with both John the Baptist and this disciple. Because man, there are times in my life where my people are going, God, why? And he's like, that's the point. (sighs) You want to be a missional church? You want to be a sending church, a church planning church? Yes, your friends are going to go. Yes, your best are going to go. That's my point. You want to serve the military? Guess what? They're going to move every two to three years. Why? Because that's my point. Because a base in England needs the gospel too. And San Diego, and San Antonio, and Hawaii. Pride makes it about us. May we decrease, man. And may we elevate the gospel priority of the mission of Jesus Christ. That we're willing to joyfully release and send and see people go to Jesus and follow Jesus wherever he leads them for the glory of Jesus Christ, through the grace of Jesus Christ, for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. May we not try to protect our own thing in hindrance of God's thing. What are two aspects of gospel priority that we see in this text? One, we see that our identity must be in Jesus and not in ministry or a church. John the Baptist gets that. His disciple was struggling with that. And wherever you are in the scale, man, there's grace here. I've been both that. And honestly, I I have this tension where they kind of coexist in my own heart, right? I want to be about the mission until it costs something. Cost our family, cost our church. Lord, forgive me for that. Humble me. But John the Baptist says, look, friends, don't you get this? I'm not the Christ. Verse 28, I have been sent before him. He's like, I get my role. My identity is in Christ. He's over there. My job as a sent one of Jesus Christ is to point you to Jesus. My identity is not in myself. My identity is not in our group, our gathering, our thing. It's in the work of, in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm confident in that. And when I'm confident in that, I can release people freely and send people joyfully. Where's your confidence today? It's hard There's pain, there's hurt, there's joy. It's all mixed together. It's all real. But man, what would it look like for you today to decrease in your identity in a church or in an organization 
or in a group of people or in a small group and increase your identity in Christ. Man, we, God has called us to multiply small groups in churches. We need to have our identity in Christ, to have the courage to do this. John the Baptist gets it. He is not the only one who is sent. That same word used sent right there in the text is the same one applied to us by Jesus himself in John 20, 21. When he, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, guess what? So I send you. We are called to live sent. Living sent means our identity is in Christ. It's not anchored in a person. God's called people here for seasons. Some seasons are a lifetime. Some seasons are a minute or a year, or two years, praise God for all of it. May we be obedient to Jesus in it all. The second aspect of living with gospel priority is this, that we proclaim the gospel with conviction, with confidence, with consistency, and with care. Always. You will be opposed when you do this. That's what John the Baptist is doing. He had the confidence to go, I'm not the Christ. Even if it means you're leaving, I'm not the Christ. He's the Christ. He's the Christ. I testified about him. I'm pointing you to him again and again and again. And I'm going to keep pointing you to Jesus. I'm going to keep proclaiming the gospel. And if you hate me and leave me, okay, I'm going to point you to Jesus. If you love me and you love Christ and you leave because Jesus sends you somewhere else or calls you somewhere else, great. I'm going to keep pointing you to Jesus. We need to keep proclaiming the gospel with conviction and confidence and consistency and decrease our own ego. Cause when people come up to you and they're like, man, you're the best small group leader ever. And you're like, Oh, you know what? I might be. And all of a sudden your head gets a little puffy and you begin to shift away from Jesus gospel centrality. It becomes you centrality. You're the best elder, pastor, music leader, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we want to build the best church. And all of a sudden the focus is where it becomes inward and not upward. We need to live upward so we can live outward and not inward. Jesus, we need you. Where in your life do you need to look in the mirror and tell yourself when you get up in the morning tomorrow that I am not the savior. Praise God that Jesus is. Where do you need to stop looking at your spouse as your savior? as your job as your savior, as your bank account as your savior, as your works as your savior, and come today to the reality that only Jesus can save you by his grace, through his strength, for his glory. I want you to, I pray that today that you will lay down the overwhelming weight of trying to be something that you have never intended to be, which is the savior of yourself, of your marriage, of your situation, that you would lay it down on the foot of the cross in humility, that you would decrease and that you would increase and pick up the grace of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you would admit the reality that you need help just like the rest of us, because none of us can save ourselves. That you would stop putting a burden on your spouse that they were never meant to bear, to be your savior. They are not, God did not give them to you to be your savior. He gave you Jesus to be your savior. We are called to point our spouses and point each other to Jesus Christ, not try to be the savior ourselves so that we get the credit. May Jesus reign. Jesus must increase and we must decrease. Jesus changes everything, friends. Gospel priorities, evidence, and living open-hearted and open-handed. The second pursuit that we need to live in response to Jesus's greatness is this, the daily pursuit. Embrace gospel generosity because Jesus's mission supersedes me. We see that with John the Baptist right here, right? He gets it. He's like, it's not about me. You're right. I did tell you about him. You're right. I did uh, uh, herald him. You're right. You're right. And now I'm releasing freely. I'm sending freely my people 
They're not, because they're not really mine. Guess who they are? Jesus's. Gospel generosity is every resource, every heart, every role. Understanding the reality that it all serves a means to an end. Jesus, exalting Jesus, lifting Jesus up, increasing the name of Jesus and decreasing myself. And the primary point of this text and the application is the ability and the willingness to open-handedly release people to the work of Jesus Christ and, and the person of Jesus Christ. You can take the principle and apply it to the practical generosity of, of generosity with our time, generosity with our financial resources, generosity in all areas to advance the mission of God that we must decrease and that Jesus must increase. And this is one of the hardest things for me as a person and a pastor. And one of the most beautiful things for me as a person and as a pastor, we must love deeply and hold loosely. And I, I get the love deeply part and I struggle with the hold loosely part. Just being real. I love you guys. And it's hard to see people go because a part of my heart goes every single time, even in the most joyous of church planning circumstances or moving or gospel embracing circumstances. And even in the tragedy, some other difficult circumstances. But may we, our grief never stop our love. Grief is the price of love. That we never grieve something we don't miss and maybe we release and allow the grace of God to cover our grief as the joy fills. And we see the joy in this text. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's horse. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. That joy comes as we, are, we live more joyfully as we live more generously. And we trust the grace of God to fill but sometimes a callous begins to grow in my heart and I don't want to send a friend away again. I don't want to uh, release willingly. No, I just, I need to decrease. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. And trust God, depend on God that he'll provide leaders and finances and friends and to be wherever God wants us to be because that supersedes everything. Two guiding principles of biblical generosity that we see in this text. There are lots of others throughout the, throughout the Bible, but two vivid ones in this text are this. Verse 27, that God's grace is the source of it all. Look with me at verse 27. John answered, and, and this is in response to his disciple being like, everybody's going to him, John. Everybody's going to him. What are you going to do about it, John? What are you going to do about it? You were here first, John. You should have the authority, John. Who does that Jesus think he is? How dare Jesus mess with our lives, right? And John goes this, a person cannot receive from even what? One thing, unless it is what? Given him from heaven. So do you see this reality? Not even one thing that you have been given is outside the grace of God. God's grace has literally given you everything. John's like, the role I have was given by the grace of God. The people that I had the privilege to disciple and work with and serve, guess what? They are also given by the grace of God. I heard a pastor a week and a half ago up in a conference in Canada, uh, Robbie Simons goes, everything we have is grace. Open the fridge and you look at the food and what? guess what? Praise God is grace, right? You go, Praise God that we have grace to have heat in this morning. Praise God that we have grace and even add to that in the way. Praise God that we have dirty laundry, right? You ever look to the laundry when you're doing, praise God, I get to do another load of laundry. Praise God, I have clothes to put on my back that have been given by God. How easy we make it about ourselves. Everything we have is a gift from God's grace and should be used for God's glory. 
How would your life change if you actually viewed everything you have, as this text says directly in verse 27, that we can't receive even one thing unless it's from above as God's and not ours. May we decrease in our view of our stuff and realize the reality that it is all God's with the purpose to be used for his mission, for his glory. And may we increase in generosity and stewardship in response to that reality. And we will give an account one day to the God of glory who is above it all for how we stewarded what he gave us. And what will you say when he asks you that? And what needs to change in your life in response to that reality today? It's all from him and it should be all for him. How are you stewarding your peop- the people that you have the privilege of interacting with? The roles that you, John the Baptist is saying, even the role that I have is a gift of God's grace. How many of us are like, I need my role at work or at church because that's my identity. And that's the problem. That our identity is in the role and not in the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Where do we need to decrease so that Jesus can increase? and have more freedom. I worked for this. It's mine. Nothing you have been given is outside of the grace of God. The second principle for biblical generosity we see in this text is that God's purpose is the glory or the reason for it all. All of it. Not some of it, but all of it. John's like, it's awesome that they're going to Jesus. And he uses this metaphor to explain it in verse 29. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride in this text. The friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist, who stands and hears him, what rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. What John is saying here is that I am the best man at the wedding of watching people come into relationship with the bridegroom that is Jesus Christ and having their lives changed forever. And the best man's role was to make sure the wedding operated and that the bridegroom was ready and that the bride was ready, and that when the bride came down the aisle, he just sat back, and what did he do? This text says he just rejoiced at the voice of the bridegroom. Now, I've had the privilege of officiating a good number of weddings. I have yet to experience this. Maybe you've been to one. I'm sure it's happened where the bride is coming down the aisle. The bridegroom is standing right there. And the best man like does a hip check to the bridegroom out of the way and said, marry me instead, right? You ever seen that? How would that go over? No. How many of us who act like that, intentionally or unintentionally, we want people to be married to us and not Jesus, our church and not Jesus. No, our joy is to rejoice at the voice of Jesus. He's here. Yes, go, go bride of Christ. Yes, go and have a relationship with Jesus. That's what you were designed to do. And now my joy is complete. So everything I've been giving is by a grace of God and to be used for the glory of God, to see people united with God and restored in a perfect relationship with God through the gift of the sacrifice of the son of God on the cross of Calvary. Cause that's the only way that we can have a restored relationship with Jesus and live together for, for, with God, the father forever in eternity. Mission drift happens. Missional drift happens when we ministry drift happens when it becomes about us and not God. Where in your life, in your heart of generosity, when it comes to how you view your resources, the people of your influence, where do you need to decrease so that Jesus can increase? 
We need to be willing to say gospel goodbye so that other people can say gospel holos in our neighborhoods and the nations. Are you willing? But what about my friend? My, my, who's the center there? My, 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 who's the center? Me. May we decrease so that Jesus can increase all through the grace of God and because it's counterintuitive, it's countercultural, it's counter to self. And friends, can I tell you that there's more joy in giving than there is receiving anyway? Acts 20 quotes Jesus. Jesus said it. We've got to believe it. We've got to trust that when we send, God supplies. When we send, God supplies. When we send, God supplies. He will supply every need of ours. He will never call us to something that he won't provide for us in it. What would it look like if you reevaluated all your portfolio of resources? Yes, financial, but also your time, your, your, your relationships, how you use your energy. And said, I, how can I, Jesus, how do you want me to decrease so that you can increase here? What do I need to change and then act, actually act on it? And Jesus is modeling gospel generosity, right? He left a place he didn't have to leave to come to us. God sent his best, may we send our best. Jesus would never call us to something he has not already done for us. May we be less close-handed and close-fisted and open-handed. Open You'll see a picture on the screen right now of a conference that, that Nate, Stephanie, and I were at last a week and a half ago. It's a GCC conference. It's a part of the Great Commission Collective that we have the privilege to be a part of. Um, 825 or so people were gathered from 109 different churches from 11 different countries. That's our family of families. Praise God for that, amen. That we get to partner together for the glory of God and it was just a beautiful time together, but I want you to know that God wrecked my heart in the best of ways. He convicted me of pride. He, he broke down barriers and he began to light a fire in my heart of missional urgency and fervency to no longer live in, in fear of X, Y, or Z, but to live in faith. And he put a question on my heart that I don't think is just for me, but I think it's for all of us. And I would ask for you to prayerfully consider this. And I would ask you to pray for me about it, pray for our team about it. And when I, what would it look like if we offer, actually offered God everything? In response to the greatness of Jesus Christ, what if we laid everything on the table? And by everything, I mean everything. What would it look like for your family if you laid everything on the table? Every commitment, every dollar, every amount, every time amount. And say, Jesus, show me where you want me to decrease and show me where you can increase and then do it. What would it look like if we did that as a church, right? In response to the greatness of God and look at the joy that, that John the Baptist has because our relationship to Jesus increasing and joy increasing is a is positive correlation for all you math nerds out there. The more that Jesus increases, guess what else increases in our life? Joy. The more that we increase, negative correlation, joy decreases. And the world tells you the lie that it's the other way. It's not. It's not. Jesus is with you in every situation. Let's pray that. What would it look like if we offered God everything and then obeyed? I believe that Jesus will raise up more pastors and church planners from this place. He would send more mission teams and plant more churches that create more disciples that with more fervency here, committed to more prayer. What would it look like if we gave Jesus everything? Let's do it, guys. Let's stop talking about it. Let's do it. 
because he's worthy of it all. Let's stop just saying that, but let's live it. Let's not be hypocritical about it. Let's be convictional about it. Jesus must increase and we must decrease. In response to the greatness of God, what's the third daily pursuit of our lives? It's this, embrace God and power humility because Jesus is greater. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Verse 30, one of the most iconic verses, one of the most profound verses, one of the most humbling verses, one of the most hard to live verses. He must increase and I must decrease. That's humility. Define. What is humility? The humility is, in the, is our natural response to the greatness of God. <laughs> That's just basically what it is. You can, there's a million books out there. You can fill this whole room with books on humility. But this is it. In a nutshell, biblical humility is us decreasing and Jesus increasing. It's us getting lower because he's getting greater. That's it at its core. But friends, when was the last time you actually prayed that you would decrease? How many of your prayers are, God, help me to increase, take more territory, do this, grow this, do this. John's like, Lord, help me to decrease. What would change in your life if you actually did that? Because if you actually think about it, if you think about your life as a pie chart, 100%, right? You'll see a screen of this pie chart right there with colored. For Jesus to increase, everything else just can't stay the same, can it? Other things by definition have to decrease. Now this, this is a cool pie chart. A little bit of everything in your, you know, it's a, it's a wide variety of things. You see God in there, you see church in there, it's great. What's wrong with this pie chart? God's the smallest one and we're in the center. But how many of us are like, this is good. I got God as a part of my life. God doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be the center of your life. Oh, I got church. That can decrease a little bit. That can increase maybe a little bit. Maybe I'll work out a half an hour less. I struggle to get to the gym anyway, whatever. No, God needs to be the center or else your life is going to end in disaster. There's no joy without Jesus in the center. And there is always joy with Jesus in the center. But if you took an honest approach to your life right now, are you in the center of your life or is Jesus? Because if Jesus says you're willing to do whatever he asks, go wherever he says, as hard as it is knowing that the grace of God will sustain you and his love will carry you. The gospel is what melts pride. Pride can't exist in the presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can talk all you want, but when you're living a life that is me-centered, it is not Christ-centered. It is not biblical. It is not godly. And it will end in devastation for you and destruction. So how do you go from me-centered to Christ-centered? You begin to pray this prayer. He must increase and I must decrease. And it's a scary prayer. It will change you and it will be hard, but it will be beautiful and God's grace will sustain you every step of the way. The gospel, the humility grows in the soil of the gospel. Pride is crushed in the soil of the gospel. Where is the gospel in your heart and life right now? Where is Jesus? Your life speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And more importantly, we will stand before a holy God one day and give an account. 
Is Jesus just another thing on your pinwheel and, and whatever? I checked the Jesus box. I went to church once a quarter. Great. I might've tithed. Maybe. I don't know. I might've shared the gospel. I don't know, but I'm still living my life. I'm going to be me. Remember, you are not the Christ. You are not the savior. You can't save yourself and you will die trying. And it will impact everyone around you. Humility says, I must decrease to the point of the reality. Why does the gospel elevate humility and decrease pride? Because the gospel says this, you are not the savior. You're a mess. You're a wreck. You must decrease. You are helpless without Jesus Christ, but you will have everything you need with Jesus. Two scripture truths that are vitally important, that are so clear in the, in the scripture are this. There are many things else, but two of the greatest realities of scripture, and there are many, many verses about this, but this is two principles, one verse, that God actively opposes the proud. Actively opposes the proud. Why isn't things working out for me? Check your own heart first. Because God will actively oppose the proud. And God will give grace and God will exalt. God will lift up the humble. I don't know if I can be weak. I can't stand it. I, I, me, me, look, trust me, God will lift you up because God's word says so. He will carry you. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. Here's, the, here's, a, here's what Peter says about it. First Peter 5, 5 through 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Is all of you just some of us or all of us? All of us, are you clothing yourself with humility today? That means putting yourself, putting it on with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. A sign of humility in this text is a willingness to express dependency on God and vulnerability before God and others. Humble yourselves, not just before God, but live with humility with others and say, I need help. I want help. I want Jesus in my life. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get Jesus in the middle. I might've been struggling with this. So why we're going to trust that the grace of God is strong enough to break that chain. Cause he can, can't he? Yes, he can. The grace of God can restore marriages, but we need to admit our brokenness. The grace of God can break addictions, but we need to lay it down. I must decrease. The grace of God can heal and restore and save the farthest. Part. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. We just need to lower ourselves and ask for it and we will receive it. Are you willing? Or are you just going to continue to live in the cycle of brokenness that you are right now and the chains and the bondage that you are putting yourselves in? Stop putting it on other people, owning the reality that your pride is putting you in the position of being actively opposed by God who will do whatever it takes to get your attention. You need to humble yourselves or you will be humbled. That's the word of God because God loves you. And he knows that his gospel is the only thing that can save you. And he will do whatever it takes out of a heart of love to lower you, even if by any means necessary to get you to the point of brokenness so that you will finally look to him for your help. Will you choose to humble yourself today? And again, read Philippians 2. Humility is the not so secret sauce to living joyfully right? Therefore, this joy of mine is not complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So much of us is like, I need to live with me center in order to have joy. No, this text is saying the exact opposite. I must live Jesus centric. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. Then I'll live joyfully. Read Philippians 2 to understand that on your own time, to understand more 
as I put Jesus first, others second, and me third, as I decrease, others increase, as, as, through the example that Jesus sets before me, I will live joyfully. Will you lower yourself today and increase Jesus? I want to challenge you to pray this prayer every day this week, multiple times every day. I believe it's life-changing, but it's scary. What would it look like in your life if you prayed daily? Jesus, help me to get my eyes off myself and onto you. Jesus, show me where you need to, I need to get my eyes off myself and onto you. That's me decreasing and Jesus increase. That's a prayer of humility. It will be painful. It will be hard. It will expose things that initially you don't want to let go. I need this. I need this to live. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. You just need me. No, I need this. Jesus, you don't understand. Jesus, I know. And you're arguing, you're arguing, you're arguing. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? Like right now, or how's that going? You want to know why you don't have joy? Because you're too busy arguing with Jesus. Lay it down and let him work. He knows what you need. He knows and he cares and he will provide for you what you really need. When you go into a meeting at work, Jesus, may I decrease and may you increase. Show me how I get my eyes off myself and onto you. When you go into the school, help me to get my eyes off of you. When you're going into a hotly contested conversation with someone that's close to you, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's before, during, after, Jesus, help me to get my eyes off myself and onto you and show me what you want me to do. Would you pray that prayer every day this week? Every moment that you're sensing your pride begin to well up, it's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing battle. Jesus, may you increase, may we decrease. The fourth daily pursuit is this. In response to Jesus' greatness, embrace faithful obedience because Jesus reigns sovereignly over me. Look at the text, verse 31 through 36. John, it's just John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. What is an evidence of this daily humility is but obeying faithfully. He says in 31, he who comes from above is above all. Praise God for that. He who he is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He repeats it again. What John is saying here is a declaration of Jesus's divinity. He's saying that Jesus Christ has existed outside of time. He is the one who was. He is the one who is. He is the one who is to come. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He sovereignly upholds every aspect of this world with his righteous right hand. And he bears witness 32 to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Look at that. You can hear the words of God and still live in rejecting God. And may that not be you today. But how many people come through the gate, the doors of a church or listen to the gospel and say, I hear the testimony of Jesus, but I choose to reject it. Is that you right now? If you're being real, if you're being honest, if you look at your life, if you're living a me-centric life, you are rejecting the testimony of Jesus Christ. I don't care what you say. I don't care what your IG profile says. I don't care the words that that are written about you or from you. I care what your life says because Jesus knows if you are living a pride-filled, me-centric life, you are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're rejecting his testimony just like this word says. He bears witness to what he's seen, but no one receives his testimony. Oh God, break us of that. Break us, Jesus. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that what God is true, that the gospel is real. Praise Jesus, amen. For he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God, 
for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. This, this text is beautiful. John is displaying the divinity of Jesus, declaring the glory of Jesus, the worthiness of Jesus, the superiority of Jesus. He's saying that Jesus, the one that God sent, utters the very words of God. That he, he's in a shout out to the Trinity that he has the full God, the spirit with him without measure. And that he's been given all things into his hand. He is over it all, above it all, and he reigns sovereignly over it all. Praise God, amen. Whoever believes has eternal life. John is going back to the whole point of the book that you would hear, that you would receive, that you would choose to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you would receive his testimony and that through belief you would have eternal life. Only in the name of Jesus. Whoever, this is a scary part and the very real part, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You choose to reject Jesus, you will experience the wrath of God both on this earth and for all of eternity because that's what we are due because of our sin. The gospel says that while we were owed that wrath, Jesus came and he, he lived a life, a perfect life as fully God and fully man that we didn't live the life for us who didn't deserve it, who can't earn it but he went onto a cross and paid the price for our sin to break your chains of bondage to your sin, to offer us eternal life. How do you know what's the fruit of one who has chosen eternal life by belief in Jesus? The text says it's obedience right there in verse 36. Jesus himself in John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. Obedience is not the way to earn eternal life, but it is the evidence of eternal life. By grace, you have been saved. Salvation is a gift of God's grace, but it is evidence with a heart submitted to Jesus as Lord that I want to live in obedience to Jesus, that he's Lord, that I am decreasing and that Jesus is increasing. That I'm in when humility is surrender, humility is submission. I'm going to decrease what I want to do and I'm going to increase following the word of God and obedience to evidence of genuine surrender in our life. One is believing the word of God to be true. And submitting your life under its authority is absolute truth for you. Verse 33 says that very, very clearly. Whoever receives his testimony, whoever puts their faith in the Lord, sets this seal to you as this, that God is true. What that seal means is this, that when letters were written back in that time, they were, they were sealed with, with wax. And that when you got it with a seal, you knew it was unbroken. You knew that the authority of the words of those in the letter were authentic. They were real. And so this is saying that we as believers, whoever receives this testimony, live a life in such a way that we authenticate the gospel of God with our lives, that when you see us, we speak and we exist and we live to the reality of the authority of the word of God in our lives. That it hasn't been tainted, that there is a purity to the gospel, that we're the same on Sunday as we are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that every relationship we are seeking to honor God and glorify God and lift up God. Is that evidence in your life? Is that a pursuit? None of us are perfect. Praise God for his grace. And a... But are you pursuing that? Second is this, obedience. Verse 36 spells it out very, very clearly. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on you. Humility says when God's word says one thing and my flesh says another, I will choose God's way. That's humility. That's lowering myself in Jesus. Where in your life do you need to do that right now? Because there are two clear choices to receive the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ or to reject it. Receiving means believing and getting eternal life. Rejecting means undergoing yourself the wrath of God 
for the consequences of sin that we have earned. Praise God that Jesus takes our wrath for him, amen? What grace. And part of what humility sees is the beautiful reality of my brokenness and God's glorious sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ, in response to that with praise, because I'm just, I can't believe that Jesus died for me. Like, I literally can't. I know me. I know how messed up, jacked up, screwed up, messed up I am. And if that's you right now, there is hope in the name of Jesus. If your marriage is a mess, there's hope in the name of Jesus. If your parenting is off kilt, there is hope in the name of Jesus. Because he breaks through the bondage. His grace supersedes our guilt. But with humility, will you go to him and ask for help? Would you bow your heads with me right now? We're going to have a little bit of time of prayer as we... There are gonna be different folks that are stationed around the room at each of the corners, elders and pastors, church leaders. Pastor Andrew's gonna be in the back. Stephanie's gonna be in the back. Don, who's one of our elders, is gonna be up front and my wife is gonna be up here. Where in your heart and life does Jesus need to increase and you need to decrease? And if you're not sure, it's that area that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention right now. And maybe for you, it's salvation. Maybe you have truly never given your life to Jesus as Lord. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you've never surrendered to Jesus as Christ. Maybe there's a part of your life right now that you've been living me-centric. Maybe you realize it, maybe you don't. In this moment, I believe that Jesus wants to break through, but it will take humility. It will take you decreasing and Jesus increasing, you asking for help. And there's help available for you to receive it. Jesus says, the word of Hebrews 4 says that we can come to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We all need it right now. So let's approach the throne with a posture of humility that says, Jesus, you're greater and I need you. I need you. You're worthy of it all. Let's not just sing it, but let's live it. So we're just gonna take a time of prayer right now. Where do you need to offer Jesus and pray the prayer? Jesus, help me to get my eyes off myself and onto you. And if you, if you wanna pray with someone or if you want someone to pray for you, you're welcome to please get up there. Who cares about what anyone's thinking or saying or looking? Jesus is above it all. He's more important than it all. We're here to walk with you. No one walks alone. There are people that would love to pray with you in these corners. Or if you want for the Holy Spirit moving and you want to get up and go pray with someone in this room, just do it. If you want to grab the hand of your spouse and go to someone and pray, just do it. If you want to pray with your spouse, you want to pray in a group, just do it. In humility with brokenness and honesty, come before the Lord and say, help me get my eyes off of me and I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you and I want to give it up. I'm fighting this battle. Jesus, help me to surrender. Jesus, help me to surrender. I don't know how, but I know who. Jesus, right now in this moment, God, I give it to you. And if he's laying a burden on your heart, just repent. Rest in the reality of his gospel. Soak in his beauty and glory and then obey what he wants you to do. So we're just going to take the next few moments and just begin to pray. Feel free to move, get up, come to the altar, do whatever you want to do as we just sit in the presence of the Lord and ask Jesus to do what only he can for his glory.
worship. And if God's laying on your heart to just keep praying as we worship in response, feel free to do that. If you need to kneel, do that. If you need to stand, if you want to keep go to someone in prayer as we respond and worship here in a second, please do that. Just allow the work of the Holy Spirit to permeate your heart. Nothing matters more than that right now. If there is a, a, something that you are like scared to bring forth, scared to confess, or not sure how it's going to change your life, just lay it down. I don't know how God can do it. God can do it. He's above it all. This is who our Jesus is as we, as we look to you. You're worthy of it all, Jesus. Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God. Jesus, you are the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, through you, all things were created in heaven and earth. They were visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things are created by you, Jesus. All things are created for you, Jesus. You are before all things, and, and in you, Jesus, all things are held together. Jesus, you are the head of the body, the church. Jesus, you are the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In you, Jesus, in everything that you might be preeminent, Jesus. For in you, Jesus, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through you, Jesus, you reconcile to himself all things on earth and in heaven. Make, Jesus, you made peace by the blood of your cross. And Jesus, and we who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus, you have now reconciled, praise you, Jesus, to your body by flesh through your death, Jesus that we can be presented as holy and blameless and above reproach before God our Father. Jesus, I just thank you for who you are. Jesus, we worship you and we extol you for who you are. Forgive us for our pride. Break us right now in this moment of our pride. Just with openness, with vulnerability, with need, we cry out, we need you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You are the name that is above every name, Jesus. And may we confess you as Lord today, Jesus. We will bow. We will bow, Philippians 2 says before you. May we choose to bow right now and declare that you and only you deserve the glory. Forgive us for our pride. Fill us with humility as you, we claim your victory and we rest in your grace, Jesus. You alone are worthy of it all, Jesus, and others are worth it all. Forgive us for our, our missional ignorance and ambivalence and fill us with a passion to proclaim your name from our neighbors to the neighborhoods, God, so that people will know that you are king and that you are hope in a world that is hard and hurting, that you are peace, in the middle of our problems. Peace is not the absence of problems, Jesus, it's the presence of you in the middle of our problems, Jesus. And Jesus, we love you and we look to you and we adore you and we unashamedly lift you high, Jesus. We proclaim your marvelous glories and goodness, Jesus. Forgive us for times where we have backed away from that. And may you increase, Jesus, in every nook and cranny of our lives. To you be the honor, to you be the glory, today and forevermore. In your name we pray, amen.